Amen. Thank you, Lord. The title of our lesson is The Greatest Sacrifice. What does that mean? It's the greatest sacrifice. What a God we serve and what a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Our family theme is the sacrifice of Christ. Our objective is that we would learn uh, to give God thanks for His sacrifice and not just giving thanks with our mouth, but with our lives, how we live our lives to please Him. We'll be in parts of Hebrews chapter 9 as well as chapter 10 today for our study text. We've got two key truths. First of all, the blood sacrifice of Christ provided redemption. Notice this, once and for all. Dual meaning there, okay? Second of all, his better sacrifice takes away our sin. A little bit of Bible trivia right away. How far does God remove our sin from us according to the Word of God? As far as what? Say it again. East and from the west. What is that? Why is that important? They never meet. They never, ever meet. What a God we serve. He's removed our sins. Our Bible basic, we're encouraged to memorize Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, where Paul said, It pleased the Father that in Him should all things, all fullness dwell, and being made peace through the blood of cross, of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, I say, whether it be things in earth or in heaven. Thank God for Jesus Christ. By the way, I didn't memorize I have it written in front of me, okay? Just so you know. How does the lesson fit? Same as last week, uh, probably written sometime uh, in the mid-A.D. 60s. Uh, many believe uh, it would have been before the destruction of the temple because the writer still refers to things that go on in the temple and the daily sacrifice. But nonetheless, that's when it was written. Under our get started, how do you feel, or what are, I guess, what are some of your thoughts when you see people do bad things and get away with it? It's what? Give me an example. Okay, all right. Um, Pam, I, I, so many times I hear say, where's the cop when you need one? Or you see these signs, watch out for motorcycles. And uh, I'm not against that. But then you're out in the road and you see these motorcycles weaving in and out of traffic all the time. And, and you wonder, you know, why, you know. But a lot of times when we see somebody do wrong and they seem to get away with it, what do we probably wish would happen to them? Get caught, somehow get punished for what they did, what they did and punished in the way they deserve. Well, that's, and I think we've all felt that way, including myself. But aren't you glad that Jesus didn't do that for us? He paid the penalty, didn't he? He paid the penalty that you and I deserve. And it was all by the will of the Father. And, and again, you know, remember, God has always been a God of grace. And yes, God has always been good. All the time, that's right. All the time, He's never been anything else. Now, we're in Hebrews today, again, we were there last week. And uh, 
one important thing to remember whenever we're studying the Word of God is to <clears throat> try to at least understand the context of what is going on, uh, when it was written, why it was written. And uh, we need to understand the context if we're going to make a correct interpretation of the Scripture, make it an accurate interpretation. And this is especially true when you get to books like the book of Hebrews uh, that are so theologically filled with things from the Word of God. So we, we were here on Wednesday night for the last couple of weeks in our study on the, the helpfulness of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that this letter, <clears throat> well, again, why was it written, why is it named Hebrews? Exactly. Hebrew Christian. This written to Jewish Christians. And because they had converted to Christianity, if you will, or received Christ as a Savior, uh, they were under so much persecution, uh, so much pressure by the unconverted Jews, it became difficult even in their daily lives. So the problem was they were being tempted to go back to Judaism. Because in their mind, we, it was better back then for us, personally. And so the letter to the Hebrews is written uh, that he might remind them that Jesus Christ has always, always been the cornerstone. He's always been the center of God's redemptive program. And again, reminding them... Uh, in particular, that even the old, the law, every, everything in the sacrificial system, all of that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he sets out, and, it, and he does a great job, if you study through the book of Hebrews, to showing them how Jesus Christ provided a better sacrifice uh, than the old system could ever provide. And of course, uh, under the old system, they brought animals what did Jesus sacrifice? His own life. So it's a better, greater sacrifice. Let's go to chapter 9. We're going to read verses 6 uh, and 7. And then skip down to verse 11, down to verse 22. And we're going to find out that the blood of Jesus provided redemption once and for all. Somebody volunteer and read, please. Verse 11 through 22. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dan. The writer of Hebrews in the first eight chapters spent a lot of time explaining exactly how the old covenant was established through Moses. And he reminds those he's writing to in us today as well that it did have a very important purpose, but it was not able to save sinners. The old covenant, the law, what it basically did was to show people you need a Savior. You need a Savior. And, of course, it points to Jesus Christ. Now, it's kind of interesting. He pointed out, we talked about this last week, how Christ was better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the priests. He's a better sacrifice as well. And so all of the Old Testament, the law, pointed to Jesus Christ. In the first few verses of Hebrews 9, which is not part of our text, uh, the writer of Hebrews reminded them of some of the utensils and the parts of the tabernacle. And he basically says, I'm not going to take time to explain all that right now. Because he wants to move on. And so what he's doing, he's making a comparison between the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, uh, worship with the tabernacle and the new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, <clears throat> which is superior, the old or the new? The new, it is better. Both, uh, the, now again, the Old Testament had a purpose. Uh, the law itself was perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. Man simply could not keep it. <clears throat> now think about this for a moment. Uh, in the tabernacle proper, uh, now we know there was a courtyard, but in the proper tabernacle, the building itself, there were two sections. What were they? You're right, Dan. Okay, I like that. Section number one and section number two. We put it, can we put it that way? But what was the difference in the two? What was one call and the other call? The Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. The Holy Place was indeed the first section. And there was, and Dan, you're right, there was a back section. All right, now, Dan, since you gave the answer, what was the difference between the two sections then? To the high priest, exactly right. Exactly right. Now remember, there's a courtyard and everybody could come there. But the holy place, only the priest could come. And the holy of holies, only the high priest could go there. And so every day the high priest would go in the holy of holies. Say it again, Wayne. Right. Not every day, but like Wayne said, only once a year. But also remember, when they entered in, they had to bring a blood sacrifice, first of all, for who? themselves. Why? They were sinners. They needed forgiveness and they would enter a second time on that day bringing a blood sacrifice, sprinkling blood for the people. 
Now, that's interesting. And by the way, uh, the first year they did it, okay, on the Day of Atonement. What about the second year on the Day of Atonement? What about the third year? Every year. They had to repeat that process. Every year. Now, that's interesting. So, the first few verses talks about the duties of the priest. The holy place and the holy of holies. But the holy of holies, once a year, twice on that day, blood for himself and blood for the people. But then you get to verse uh, 11, and we see the word but, but Jesus. But Jesus. Here he comes. Christ comes along, and he offers something so much better than the sacrifice they offered. Why was it better? Number one, theirs was temporary, right? Because they had to do it every year, over and over again. So why was Christ's sacrifice better than that? Permanently. He did it once for all. And I said there's a dual implication there. One time for all time. But also for who? All people. Amen. For every one. I'm going to tell you, folks, we got a wonderful God. Because remember, the old covenant was for Jews. So it wasn't for all people. And it wasn't for all time. They had to go over and over and over again. In fact, verse 12 is emphatic. Tells us that Christ entered once for all. What a contrast. So Jesus brings in a brand new covenant, a better covenant, because his sacrifice is once for all. And remember, his sacrifice was perfect. And because it was perfect, it secured redemption. And peace with God for those who would believe in Him through His saving work. Now think about this. Now remember, the old covenant was necessary. It served a purpose. It pointed to Christ. It let people know you need something better than this. And so the question is, if we could have been, if man could have been cleansed under the old covenant, if these rituals could have sanctified man, they would not have had to have been repeated over and over again. But they couldn't do it. They simply couldn't do it. But here's what's interesting. Even under the old covenant, in God's plan, the outer man could be cleansed and the outer man could be sanctified through these different covenant rituals. And so the question the writer of Hebrews asked, if that old covenant with, you know, that limitation could sanctify the flesh, how much more will the inner man be transformed under this new covenant? How many know that's a rhetorical question? 
The work of God is so amazing. Because under the new covenant, we are transformed inwardly, forgiven, cleansed, washed, and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is, without a doubt, a better covenant. Now, remember the context. The writer of Hebrews is basically saying, why in the world would you want to go back to the old? It could never do what Jesus did for you. You are now complete in Jesus Christ. Now, hold on. Folks, I want to tell you, we need to praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the old covenant only worked on the exterior. Where does Jesus work? He works on the interior. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more time it takes to polish the outside of this old guy. Amen? <laughs> and Rick stepped out. But I think he he gave up on a long time, but he can't he can't help himself, you know. <laughs> you can tell Rick I said that. But the fact of the matter, Christ is concerned about the inward man. He works on the inside. He deals with the heart. And he changes it from inside out. And what's interesting, because Christ died once for all, and we learned last week in the first chapter of Hebrews, he now sits down on the right hand of majesty, on the right hand of God, because the work of redemption is finished. But he's there on the right hand of God, and now he continually intercedes for us. He is pleading our case. Now think about that. Before the Father, he's the, for, he's the forever high priest who now sits in the very throne room of God. And so now, because of the blood of Christ, there is no longer a need for a continual sacrifice, a temporary blood sacrifice that had to be done over and over and over and over again. And by the way, back then, uh, the job of the priest, if you wanted to go to God, you had to go through a priest. But how do we go to God today? Directly through Jesus Christ. He has opened that way. We can go straight through the throne of God. And here's what's interesting. Anytime we gather together, or even we're alone at home, doesn't matter, but especially when we come together to worship, we gather together as a people who are cleansed, who are redeemed, who are forgiven, and we are restored as children of God, all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful concept. So we come together and we worship in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Beginning in verse 15 down through the rest of of verse 22, now he begins to speak about how significant the blood is. Now, again, uh, he reminds them that the Old Testament covenant was established with blood. And uh, Cheryl actually this morning pointed out a, a particular part of that. It talks about not only the people being sprinkled, but also the covenant, the law. And why was that important? 
Well, first of all, we know we can under and Carol, you're right. We can understand why people need sprinkled. What's the reason for that? We're sinners. But the difficult thing: why would the book be have to be sprinkled? Again, it was perfect. But we need to remember: without the shedding of blood, there's what? No remission of sins. And the the old covenant was all about the removing of sins. And so that's why, symbolically, it needed to be sprinkled with blood the same way the people are. Now, also, the writer of Hebrews points out a very important concept. He uses the word a testament. We would use the word will. And he basically says, as long as the person is alive, the will has no effect. The only time a will has effect is what? When the person dies. So there has to be blood, okay? So the book was sprinkled to signify that this will took place because there were sacrifices. In fact, we can go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? Yeah, and he, had, he killed an animal. There had to be blood. And, and so the, the reason uh, the reason that the blood is so significant when we talk about atonement is the fact that blood is associated with life. Uh, when blood is gone, death happens. It occurs. And so again, a, a will or a testament or a covenant uh, is not in force without... Death. So there had to be a shedding of blood even for the old covenant to be in force. Now, it's interesting, folks. And we need to remember, uh, God knows what he's doing, okay? And our, uh, the life is in the blood. That's in Leviticus as well. The life is in the blood. So both the book and the people had to be sprinkled. Any question or comment about that? Any question or comment about that? Both were sprinkled. Now, by the way, uh, I think it's interesting here. Just as the author lists the articles of the tabernacle in the first few verses of chapter 9, he made a point and said, I'm not going to explain it now. I think the same is true about the sprinkling of the blood and on the people and the, and the, and the, and the book. But nonetheless, it was a fact that it took place in order for the old covenant to have effect, in order for the sin to be washed away. Now again, it's important that we don't lose the context of this. These folks were considering uh, going back under the law. Uh, they were considering moving back uh, from the sacrifice of the death of Christ as the only means of being made righteous before God. And so again, even these people realized under the Old Testament there was a need for a blood sacrifice. Now remember, the problem was in the Old Testament, it was over and over again. But what about now? Once for all. So in verses 19 through 22, we see how uh, the writer here of of Hebrews reminds them uh, by reflecting on every aspect of the Old Covenant system. In fact, uh, the sprinkling of goats and calves, all of these things... um, all, everything was sanctified by that blood. What's interesting is this. He is very, very emphatic. He says, remember, 
Unless blood is shed, there cannot be what? Forgiveness. You have to have the shedding of blood. But the problem was, the blood of animals, goats, and whatever it might have been, was not sufficient. It was not, didn't have the ability to take away our sins. And so, that's why it was a temporary thing and had to be repeated over and over and over again. Now, let me remind you, we sin against God. It's God who gives the remedy for sin. And even in the Old Testament, He provided a way for people to be made right before God. However, that was only temporary, and they had to do it over and over and over again. In my daily Bible reading, I'm now in the, in the, in the Leviticus, Exodus area, and Numbers, things like that. And uh, what amazed me again as I read this past week, there were different animals that you had to bring for certain sacrifices. And for, but for a sin sacrifice, even if all you had was a pigeon or a turtle dove, you could come. If all you had was some grain, you could come. What does that mean? How important is that? Say it again. Yeah, absolutely. God is so gracious. But again, that was all just temporary. You see, the problem was, under the law, they were trying to gain their salvation, to earn their salvation by doing works. And so the application is, we shouldn't do that. You shouldn't try to earn your salvation by doing good works. But we earn it by simply trusting in Jesus Christ. My question is, why should we not try good works to earn salvation? What do you mean? No, wait a minute, Lavenda. Suppose I climb 100 stairs tomorrow morning. Suppose I do it backwards. I, 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 Wayne got it. I'll be tired. Absolutely. But I won't be made right with God. Thank you, Wayne. I never thought about that. Uh, by the way, I never make the 100 steps either, okay? I'm lucky to make two anymore. But yeah, we can never, ever do enough. And that's why we have to trust in Christ. So let's kind of ask a question in the way of discussion. Uh, how is this new covenant in Christ, how is it His blood superior to the old covenant? How is it superior? Say it again. That's right. It was Christ's blood. It was perfect blood. What other ways is it? Is it? And that's, that's certainly part of it. What, what else is true there? Which, which one, and we can go through the whole Old Testament, whoever, Orthodox Jews, which one perfectly kept the law? No, you couldn't do it. And we can't do it. But who did? Jesus did. Amen. Jesus did. And because he atoned for us, one sacrifice, we no longer have to offer sacrifices over and over again. How many are glad that Jesus paid it all? Yes, he paid it all for us. In verse 14, uh, we just read a moment ago, we were told that the blood of Christ purifies us 
that we are able now to serve God. So my question is, in a practical realm, what does it mean for us to serve God day by day? How do we serve God in our daily lives? Okay, the way we live, all right. How do we do that? How do we do that? Oh, that's good. Putting him first and serving us. And by the way, that's how we need to live every day. That's how we serve the Lord. Now, remember, we're qualified through the blood of Jesus Christ. So his blood, number one, his blood sacrifice provided redemption once for all. Number two, his better sacrifice, now here's a good one, takes away our sin. Let's read Hebrews 10. Verses 1 through 17. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Writer of Hebrews starts off there in verse 1 reminding us that the law was simply a shadow. What does that mean? What is a shadow? Say it again, Dan. Okay. Is it a real thing, though? No. It's also interesting and... Again, since it's fresh in my daily Bible reading, you know, Moses spent 40 days up on that mountain, two different times. And it was 40 days he got instructions about the law, 
the tabernacle, all the sacrifices, all the penalties if you stole somebody's sheep or somebody died or whatever. He was there getting it from God. But also understand the tabernacle, the plan that God gave Moses, was planned and modeled after the true one in heaven. So he reminds us that the Mosaic law was just a shadow. It was a shadow of what one day Christ would bring in. And so the law was meant to point toward a greater reality. The Apostle Paul told the church of Galatia, it was, a, it was our schoolmaster. It was there to train us to know that there's something better coming. That was the law. Now, here's what's interesting. The writer of Hebrews reminded them the law could never make anybody perfect. How would he know that? Say it again. Well, he knows it, but how would the writer of Hebrews know that? That, but also he was human. And even Paul, when Peter uh, withdrew from the crowd when the Jews came, Paul said, Peter, you want him to do things we can't even do. We were not made perfect. And every time they went back to sacrifice, what did, what did it remind them? I'm a sinner. I am not perfect. And that's why they had to do it over and over and over again. And every time, and especially every year on the Day of Atonement, they were reminded of their sin. But let me say something today, folks. Thank God for Jesus. Now, not only did Christ take away our sin... He takes away our guilt. Now think about that. How many came to church today feeling all horrible because you feel all guilty all over? I didn't. And I won't come tonight or next week. You know why? Because Jesus took away my guilt. That doesn't mean that I never sin, or that you have never sinned. We know better than that. But aren't you glad that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he takes away not only our sin, he takes away our guilt. He takes away our guilt. Because here's what we need to understand. Jesus paid the sin penalty, and he paid it once and for all. It is paid for. Now, by the when we do sin, that's when 1 John 1, 9 comes in. We confess our sin. We repent before the Lord. And we do that so our intimacy with God is restored. So, yes, sin does affect us, But my friend, we don't carry that load anymore. We don't carry that debt. Why? Because Jesus paid it once for all. Kind of interesting there in verse 4, when speaking about the blood of animals, 
uh, the writer used the word not possible. What's that mean? If something's not possible, what is it? It's impossible. There's no way, he says, no way that a blood of an animal could take away our sins. Only a sinless human being could stand for the sins for other people. It had to be a human representative. Who was that? Jesus Christ, our Lord. He stood in our place. He quotes from the 40th Psalm in verses 5 through 7. That Psalm speaks of a Messiah. And the Psalm prophesied, if you will, that God had ordained a body for Christ. He prepared a body for Christ, and he prepared him to become human, to die on the cross for our sins. So when Jesus hung on the cross, who did he die for? Everyone. Who did he represent? Everyone. He died for us. Now, it's interesting. Uh, he mentioned that back in chapter 2 uh, of Hebrews, and it reminds us then, because we are flesh, because we are human, Christ, in order to be our Savior, had to become human. And so God prepared a body for him. And then in verses 8 through 14, he gives more evidence of the sacrifice that brought eternal atonement for all who would believe. Now remember, in the garden, Jesus prayed, if it be your will, let his cup pass me. But what did he say? If not, your will, okay? Not not my will, but your will be done. So the Savior came to do the will of the Father. So when he did that, a brand new covenant was established. And now the old is taken away. We don't need that anymore. Doesn't need to be repeated because he died once for all. Now remember, when the author wrote this letter, in all likelihood the temple was still standing. So they understood the priests were still doing their work. They were still offering those sacrifices over and over and over again. But he emphasizes now Jesus had been offered once for all. How many are glad for that? He paid it in full. He sits on the right hand of the Father. The work is done. It is now finished. Now, by the way... uh, when you study the uh, the tabernacle, and even you know during the time of Moses, during the time of Solomon, uh, how many chairs do you find in the tabernacle? None. You know why? Their work was never finished. But now Jesus Christ sits on the right hand of God. It is finished. Here's what's interesting. Verse 14 tells us that that one sacrifice of Christ perfected for all time all of those who are being, notice that word, being sanctified. In our walk with God, there is a already principle 
connected to a not yet principle. The day you received Jesus Christ, he declared you righteous legally. When Christ offered that sacrifice, we were perfected for all time. For those who were being sanctified. Now remember, our perfection is in him, but as we walk in this life, we are being sanctified. And the word sanctified in the simplest form means to be set apart. So every child of God was set apart. And even though we are set apart, we are in the process of daily sanctification. And I want to tell you, folks, in this life, sanctification is often a painful process in our lives. Because in that sanctification, God is conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And guess what God will do for uh, to do to conform us? Anything He needs. And sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it will be painful. And so as we go through the issues of life, God uses those to perfect us or sanctify us day by day. And that work is going to go on throughout our lives. No one will attain perfect holiness in this life. But remember, God is molding us into the image, into the form of His Son. Uh, read that in Romans chapter 8, by the way. And so, sanctification is a past, uh, it's a past event, it's a present event, it's also a future process. It's ongoing in our lives. But the Bible says one of these days, when Christ comes, when we see Him, John said, we will be just like Him. My friend, that's the day the sanctification process comes to an end. And guess who paid that price? Jesus did. He paid it all. we got just a few minutes left this morning, I think. Right, Jason? And uh, something I want to just touch on for a moment. How many know today that not only did Jesus take the sin penalty, all the wrath of God was poured out on him on Calvary. Do you understand that? And I, I see, or I, I, I talk to so many Christians through the years. They're still living with guilt of a past sin. They still believe that somehow God is pouring out His wrath on them because what, whatever it may have been was so inexcusable and so unforgivable. But how many know that's, not, that's a lie of the devil? That is a lie of the devil. Christ took our penalty, he took God's wrath, and now we stand cleansed, we stand forgiven, we stand righteous before a holy God, all because of what Christ did. Am I saying that I'm worthy? No, I am not. Jesus is worthy. He paid that price, and he is my Savior. No more need. No more need. For sacrifice. A question I've been asked sometimes through the years is, well, why, why did anybody have to die? 
For the fact of the matter, the wages of sin is what? Death. And God said a price had to be paid. And God, because He's holy, could not excuse sin. He couldn't sweep it under a rug. It had to be taken care of. And the only way to do that was the offering of a sinless sacrifice. And my friend, Jesus Christ was and is that sacrifice. Let's stand together. Next week, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a better priesthood. Thank you for the greatest sacrifice ever. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.